0: Today, you are going to get a front row seat to the short but impactful career of Springbok Johan Leroux. Johan, welcome to Front Row Rugby. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate to be able to sit here today, Peter, and to talk to you. Now, before we begin our conversation, let's take a look at this week's trivia question. In 2008, Francois Steyn started at fly half for the only time in his Springbok career. Who were the opponents that day? Now, if you know the answer to the question you can put it in the comment section down below and we'll also find out if johan knows the answer but we'll do that at the end of our conversation johan i'd like to begin our chat in 1994 we were playing a two test series against england and in the first test the english won quite convincingly you were then brought in for the second test to make your debut talk to me about how the players were feeling in that week leading into that second test match
1: i think uh at least they started at sort of modernising then and became more professional. So, uh, for the first time, they were actually doing power testing on us because you're going to laugh at it. I was only weighing 105. I was one of the smallest props ever to play the country. But uh, Macintosh did the testing and he could see on on, on weight testing and things myself and Ian McDonald was like almost I'm bragging now 50% stronger than any other players in the team. And I'll thank the father for that, because that's how he could have seen the And changed us in the second test of power, it comes back to what I said to you of the fixed facets, the most powerful. And at that stage, without a doubt, I was the most powerful prop in the country with a guy like Ian McDonald, the flanker behind me, and that we could have controlled those scrums and lineouts.
0: And how were you feeling ahead of making your test debut for the box?
1: It's the most unbelievable feeling because my dad played Northern Transvaal and as a junior rugby player through school years, It was always my biggest dream. But then you remember with the sanctions that came over to South Africa, there were no rugby for a lot of years. So I only became a spring-off at the age of 33. I kept on so long to to be able to make it. And uh, it was an unbelievable feeling.
0: A lot of players say that their first test match for their country goes by in a flash. What was your experience like? No, exactly the same. It's like five minutes.
1: And I think the other thing, if most of them are honest, it's the first time in my life that I almost cried. You stand there when they sing the national anthem, and it's like a dream. that came true, and you are there. It's unbelievable. And how incredible was it to be part of a famous victory that day? Yeah, no, that was unbelievable, especially against the England side. That's the side I admired the most of my life. Not everybody would think New Zealand because they're such champions, but England is, to me, the greatest rugby side in the world, after the Springboks now, of course.
0: And then after that, we were off to New Zealand. I've had quite a few former Springboks on the show that were on that tour in 1994, and they all say that it was the toughest tour that they had ever been on. Would you go along with that? No, definitely, because also coming back to
1: isolation, we weren't, we weren't around to compete internationally so much. So I think it was a hell of an adjustment period for us, in a, in a, in a sense. And then the second thing is, uh, look, it sounds terrible if I said I don't think... Uh, McIntosh was such a good coach. He, he wasn't like Kitsch Christie. I came from Kitsch Christie's era where there was total discipline. And it's a two different setups where we went into the New Zealand with that. And then our management itself, I don't think, stood with us, especially with New Zealand's aggression. Because I believe that, you know, those 17 test wins they had in a row was mainly because of intimidation. And I will thank the Lord for today's new laws with the TV sightings and things. I don't think they'll ever be such a great sight again in history that they were because of intimidation. That sort of stopped now, but it's a good thing, I personally think.
0: That's a very interesting point that you raised there, Johan. Let's talk about the first Test match in Dunedin. We were beaten 22-14. And I've actually heard different stories from different people that were involved that day. Some say that we could have won the Test match if we had kicked more accurately. Other people say that, no, actually, we were the second best team that day and New Zealand did deserve their victory. How do you remember that occasion?
1: No, I wouldn't say they deserved it. But I also can't just say we should have won. It's, but the score should have been closer. It was, I mean, we are the two greatest rugby nations. So, I, I, you know, you can't make a comment that they should have just won. I don't believe it. I think with maybe a bit of different things we could have won with this. Let me put it that way. It's also to do with kicking
0: again. When I say it's not a round ball, it's a, it bounces in different mm-hmm. directions. That's what makes it so interesting. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about those 1994 All Blacks, because most people that have been around for the professional era will know that the New Zealanders have largely dominated world rugby, especially in between World Cups. Uh, Thankfully, the Springboks have won as many as they have. But in (laughs) uh, in between, the All Blacks have sort of been the number one team in the world most of the time in the professional era. But as I recall, in 1994, the All Blacks were not particularly dangerous. What was your assessment of them? No, they weren't. The only thing they had that Lomo, uh, that was such a big, uh,
1: wing playing. And I mean, small stopped him. He wasn't everything. I think that was the only fierce sort of
0: factor they had in, in the whole, uh, team. And the All Blacks that you faced in 1994 in New Zealand, uh, because if if I'm not mistaken, I think Joan Lomu, he he didn't actually come into the team yet. Um, And I think that they still had Stephen Bashup at fly-half. Andrew Mertens wasn't yet involved. So did you find them particularly dangerous or intimidating?
1: No, no, just very intimidating and aggressive. Uh, Look at the problem I had with the biting incident. It was aggression, build-up, and we couldn't basically... Go back on the aggression. If they attacked us, uh, our management said to us, we shouldn't get involved in all of that. And that's what I think where the sad part came. We should have played the same as them. It's, uh, if you look at Fitzpatrick, the, 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 problem I had with him, the whole, only thing he did in that game, the whole game is you can go look at it. He's intimidate, intimidate, intimidate. And it the shouldn't be actually played like that. It's, it's sad. It's sad what happened there. And I think that's the way they won us. I say all, all the years before that and actually till recently. And that is going to, definitely will stop now.
0: Johan, you've actually gone and preempted what I was going to uh, discuss next. And that is Sean Fitzpatrick. Certainly from our point of view, sitting there at four, half past four in the morning watching these test matches, he certainly came across as being a very cunning individual. What was it like playing against him? Well, I see him, it's going to sound crazy saying that from my side, I see him as the cleverest
1: captain in international rugby ever. Because the way he intimidates the, the, the refs, and in the other team, because you actually slowly start working with your mind to a degree where you, you don't control yourself. So he, he keeps two or three players busy, and that, that's also the other way you can win if you keep on with that. And that's again, as I say, it's not rugby. It should have been pinpointed by the international refs a long time ago.
0: I can only imagine how annoying and even irritating it can become when you face a player like that. How difficult can it be to maintain self-control and not punch him for argument's sake?
1: You're going to laugh at what I'm going to say to you. you know, the day I bit him, I didn't even know I was biting him. And I think it's a build-up. I even afterwards went to go see a psychiatrist about the whole incident to try to work out. And he says, you know what, you're on. The, the problem with, with most of your spring boxes is about 80% of us, I never knew it till I spoke to the psychiatrist, but got a, a serotonin shortage. Your body doesn't give off as to your aggression levels. It goes through the top. He said, but if you haven't got it, you'll never get there. It sounds crazy. So I'm on tablets now every day of my life, drinking a serotonin tablet to, to, to sort that, that sort of aggression problem out. But to come back to Fitzpatrick, he pushes you. Can you believe it? He pushes me mentally, because mentally I'm not, I believe I'm quite a strong guy. But if you lose that control right at the end, where you don't
0: actually know what you're doing. And that is the scariest part of it. That's quite incredible. So if I had to ask you, for argument's sake, to describe that actual moment, the ear-biting incident, you actually don't remember it. Is that right? I promise you, I don't, people
1: say, that's why I say I promise you, because every time I say it, people say I mean, you're talking nonsense. He drove me behind the loose scrum and he ran into me. And then all of a sudden it was like a blackout for like, say, 10 seconds. It's, it's, it's yes. I, I can't, I promise you, because think about it, I could have knocked him with my right hand or I could have headbutted him, but to bite him, I must have been
0: nuts if you think about it. Quite unbelievable. And then just the match itself, 13-9, the All Blacks beat us. Similar to that first test where it was really close. Could we have won? Should we have won? What's your take? I believe we should have won. No,
1: we should have won. That's why I say I see him as really the cleverest captain in history. You know, to have won 17 tests, he's won. Just to think about that alone, how he controlled it, and to set it up to do it like the way he does it. He's an unbelievable captain.
0: Hey, if you're enjoying this video, why not consider becoming a patron? It's my dream, guys, to do this full time, and with a small financial contribution, you can help me realize that dream. The link and the QR code is appearing on your screen right now, and I'll also put it down in the description area for you to go and click on at a later stage if you would like to do so. And by becoming a patron, I promise there will be great benefits for members. Now let's get back to the interview. Johan, what was the reaction to the ear-biting incident from your teammates? No, no, all quite okay.
1: Look, Most of them, France and all those guys, we all played at Rau all our lives together, Ian McDonald. So we were very close knit team, actually, that we were. So I suppose I so, sounding a little bit terrible. I was sort of the aggression guy in the back, uh, you know, to keep things uh, together.
0: Uh, I think it's fair to say that the authorities were not as supportive of you. You were sent home from the tour. Can you explain to us how that whole process played out? It's, it's terrible. Look, I'm, I'm saying some bad things about Yannick Ilbrecht now. I think he was more on the
1: trip for selling wine. And it's terrible. That's what he was doing. He was in with business and things and not as an actual manager for the team. If you remember, they, we all came back and uh, Lou Lait immediately got rid of all of them. And I see Lou Lait as like the father of rugby in this country. You think he put that World Cup together, he put two of us together, went to go talk to Nelson Mandela together. Uh, He immediately realized that, and also as one of the top businessmen in this country, realized when we came back is to
0: get rid of all of them. And he did it. He did the right thing immediately. And the proof is in the pudding, because we went on and won the Rugby World Cup. But you were given an 18-month suspension. Did you believe at that stage that your test career was over?
1: Yes. 18-month uh, ban. It was, the,
0: I think, the longest ban ever for a springbok in this country. And when you look back, uh, any regrets? Because I suppose, given that you were the incumbent tight lock, or, or prop, I mean, um, you almost certainly would have been in the 1995 Rugby World Cup squad.
1: Yeah, I can thank. if you read, Kitsch Christie, written a book after that. And I will always thank him. It's a pity I could never say thanks to him. Because he died of cancer was before I could say thanks to before the book actually came out. And in that book, he said, I would have been the, 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 the number one tight head prop for the selection for that, for that. Team. I mean, I played under him, yeah, at the Lions the whole time. So he knew me and he always used to speak to me directly, you now about my aggression, but it sounds crazy. He always also wanted it. So he wanted a player like me, but controlled better because he always said to Ian McDonald to watch my back in case something goes wrong, uh, in a bad way. But at least he backed his players. You need when you when you a player like bit to myself. You need the, the coaching staff to control that. But you definitely need that in rugby.
0: We spoke about your teammates supporting you, and then people like Yanni Engelbrecht uh, not supporting you as much. I think it's fair to say as well that from the public and the media, there was quite a negative reaction to the ear biting, and obviously you had to live through that and experience all of that. How did you deal with those things? Yeah, I, th- I think it was it was tough for me, but
1: I mean, I could end with it. The toughest was my poor kids. They went through hell with us, you know, getting peace at school and things like that. To me, I, su- uh, I suppose you, you, you just sort of, you work with it and you work through it. The toughest thing was me for 18 months because I was 33, so I came, I came back at 35 and I needed five games for Transvaal to make my 100 to get that blazer. So that's all I trained for, and once I got that, I finished
0: Johan, I'm sure you are also familiar with uh, the song that came out about the earbiting incident uh, from Leon Schuster. Uh, it was part of that He Call Me Booker CD. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? No, no, Leon and myself are big, big friends. <laughs>
1: so, no, that luckily I went over it quite. You know, like the first two months, you're like, you get the hell in people teasing you and things. And then you realize you've got to go with it, otherwise,
0: you'll go nuts. I can just imagine. And then uh, last question on, on the ear-biting thing, uh, Johan. There are some people who I think were very supportive of what you did. And I would say that some people even thought that you should have ripped off Fitzpatrick's entire ear while you were at it. What do you say to those folks? No, no,
1: you're 100% right. Look, as a nation, I think we're quite an aggressive nation. Because if I have a couple of beers in a pub somewhere thinks and you know, I had a lot of support there, it sounds crazy. The guys actually said you should have killed him. That's terrible, but I suppose, you know, it's also we are a hell of a rugby nation and they wanted to win. So your, like your real rugby supporters would have, was behind me all the way. It was your normal public that uh, took it a bit uh, to another level. No doubt. So who was your toughest opponent? You won't believe me if uh, Gary Pagel, not international prop, became an international prop. And I can actually tell you the story because after I came back, I was sitting at home one day and Kitsch Christie got the team was now to coach. And can you believe it? He phoned me and he said to me, you know, Johan, who's the toughest uh, loose-head prop you've ever scrummed in the world against? And I said to him, Gary Pagel. He says, but he doesn't believe it. I said, yeah, he's playing for Provence. I said, nobody's ever picked him. And if you, I don't know if you can remember at the state where the World Cup, he, got, he picked Gary Pagel. And he promised you that's the toughest, toughest prop
0: ever. I don't think he's got an equal, to that guy. That is quite a story. And as you say, Pagel, uh, actually, he was on the field when we won the World Cup in 1995 during extra time. Uh, Johan, I've got to ask you this as well. Is there a particularly funny moment that you can share with us from your time with the Springboks?
1: Yeah, off the field. Off the field, I can tell you, it's one. me and James Dalton came home one night late from one of our trip, trips in New Zealand. I can't remember now which town it was. Can you believe But Anyway, we came back at about like 3, 4 in the morning. And I don't know, they had the, the, the milk and the coffee outside the rooms, next to the door. And uh, we said, ah, now let's have a cup of coffee and then go sleep because training is early tomorrow. And uh, there was no water, so we filled the whole coffee jar with milk, and we put it on. And as we went to go sleep, we forgot about it, and that bloody milk took a light. Can you believe it? (laughs) Anyway, as we were lying there, you just hear ambulances, and you hear the fire brigade, and everybody up and down the place. And as we opened it, all we see this smoke coming out of this cup on fire, and we also just ran out. Until today, nobody even knew we did that. It was chaos there anyway. We all had to evacuate. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, never we came back. I mean, you uh, know, it was another year out then. But that's the biggest, I think, joke. And, uh, I still say, nobody, everybody swore and nobody knew who did it.
0: That is a great story. Johan, is there a player currently who you particularly admire? Ox. Ox, Ox, I would say. You look, you look at
1: this uh, the against France that he came up and we got that penalty. So I think I, I would say, it's a prop, most probably Ox. And what are you up to these days? Ach, nothing at the moment. I'm basically semi-retired. My daughter is, is in the metal industry and engineering, and I'm helping her. I used to be in that my whole life. You know, in this country, what we spoke on earlier, it's very sad. I was in the foundry industry, engineering industry, and in 94, can you believe it? There was 400 foundries here. There's 100 left. It's, it's a scary, scary situation with me going through here. So I'm helping her, and ach, I still enjoy seeing the old customers and things and talk. I'm going
0: off with of the beer and talking a lot of nonsense. And we all hope that things can turn around, of course. So, Johan, we're going to finish off by looking again at the trivia question. In 2008, Francois Stein started at fly half for the only time in his Springbok career. Who were the opponents that day? Do you know the answer, Johan? Yes, I'm going to guess now. i say Australia. All right. Well, we did play Australia soon after that, but the correct answer actually was Italy. Seriously, yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's why In I didn't remember Australia, but I
1: don't know why I thought it's Australia.
0: And as it turns out, it remains the only time that François Stein ever started at fly half for the Springboks. He did come on as a fly half at other times in his career, but he only ever started that one time. Johan, let me say, it was lovely having you on Front Row Rugby today. An absolute pleasure. And thank you for sharing some of those stories with us. And I hope that we can have you on again in the future. Yeah, I know. time, Peter. Thanks for rem- remembering me that we can
1: sort of live a little bit back into our past. It, it creates it's a lot, especially for us getting older. Thanks a lot.